Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning. Wonderful to be here today. Very thankful. Seems like uh, here of lately, uh, it's been a rare thing for me to get to be at church here on a Sunday. And so I'm thankful for this opportunity to be here and to be with you, to get to see you all. I want to say a special thank you to, to Kitty and Joe for opening their house last night. I really enjoyed that fellowship. We got to watch a few fireworks and involved in that, and, and, and not any fireworks between the brethren, just fireworks in the sky. It was really uh, a really good night, and we enjoyed it very much. Appreciate that. This morning, as you can see on the PowerPoint behind me, we're going to look at Psalms chapter 90 here. We had that read for us. Very thankful for Tana for reading that for us. One of the things about Psalms chapter 90 that stands out that's a little bit unique about the psalm is, and I hope you noticed it as he began to read it there, it's a psalm of Moses. It's not a psalm of David, but it's a psalm of Moses. It's the only psalm that we know for sure was written by Moses. There's some speculation that he wrote the next 10 psalms all the way through Psalms 100. No proof of that. There's just some speculation, some internal text, if you look at it, could possibly lean to the writing of that by Moses. But we know he wrote Psalms chapter 90. And what ought to grab our attention as you think about Moses writing Psalms chapter 90 is this reality of what all Moses and the children of Israel saw before he wrote this. He would have seen the power of God moving as God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He would have seen those ten plagues. He would have seen, and all of Moses and all the children of Israel would have seen the Red Sea part, and they walked across on dry ground with the walls of water. Could you imagine experiencing that? They saw God move with them as they went through the desert, as they rejected God's plan there, as they came to the Red Sea and they sent the spies in for 40 days and they came back and spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They would have seen the power of God over and over in their lifetime. And so Moses at some point writes this psalm, and in it, I hope you notice, he talks a lot about the power of God. He talks about their sin and how they've rebelled and they're paying for their sin. But he talks a lot of this about the power of God and God's might. And then he comes down in verse 12, which we stopped just short of reading. In verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's the verse I really want us to, to narrow in on this morning and think a lot about. You know, we're not like Moses. We've, we've not seen the walls of water necessarily in our life, literally. But I'm willing to bet that every person here has and at points in their life can point back to and think about seeing God work in your life. Blessings that he's given to you. Strength and hope in difficult days that he's comforted you and supported you. At the very least, you can think about God moving in your life the day you obeyed the gospel and he took away from you all of that sin and he made you righteous. And we know the might and the power of God. And that's one of the reasons this psalm captures my mind. Verse 12, when Moses, having seen all those things, he looks at God and says, so teach us. That just grabs me. Wait a second. What do you need to be taught? (laughs) What knowledge is there that you're lacking that you don't have, Moses? What is it that you think you need to know that you don't know? And I would submit to you that the use of the phrase, so teach us in this context, doesn't mean, God, we lack knowledge in something. It's more along the lines of remind us. 
More along the lines of put it in our hearts in such a way that makes a difference. Teach us in an application way so that we're different because of that. You know, the very things that Moses points to are the things that you and I see. And like Moses and like the children of Israel wandering in that desert, we, we very often forget those things, the, the might of God. I think that's one of the things that he has in mind here. Notice, if you will, Psalms chapter 90, verses 3 through 6. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You run man to destruction and say, Return, O children of me, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. Like a watch in the night, you carry them away like the flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. And in the evening, is cut down and withered. He's talking about something that all of Israel had seen over and over. And you and I have seen over and over the power and the might of God. We know that God is mighty and eternal and that he's going to last forever. That he's outside the bounds of time. We don't need to be taught that. But how often do we forget that in our day-to-day life? So when Moses says here, teach us, it's the same thing we need to be crying out. Remind us. Make that part of who we are. Help us to see this life and understand that you are mighty, that you are powerful in such a way that it impacts us. In Isaiah, the 40th chapter, he talks more about this idea. Beginning here in verse 12, he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth with a measure? Weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as a small dust in a scale. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. Down in verse 22, he says, It is he who sits on the circle above the earth, and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing. He makes the judges of earth useless. I love this passage, and there's so many others that we could just spend the rest of the morning reading about the might and the power of God. And there's not a person in this room would go, I'm not sure about that. Every one of us would go, yes, we serve a mighty God. We serve a God of great power and might. He alone is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. All of this earth is a speck before him. And we know he's not bound by time. We get that. But how often in our lives daily do we forget that? I think that's an important part of what Moses is driving at. That we get ourselves in trouble so often when we forget the might and the power of God. That he's not part of this creation. That he is the creator of it. And as such, he's outside of time. God is it bound by time like you and I? He mentions there in Psalms chapter 90, we just read, Peter quotes it here in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 when he talks about a thousand years are in the Lord's or in the sight of the Lord as a day and a day as a thousand years. He's not giving us, either in Psalms 90 nor in 2 Peter, is he giving us a formula to calculate a prophecy. So many people take it that way. That's not the point of it. The point of it is, God, you're not bound by time. You're outside of time. How could God that created time be bound by time? You know, all time is is a measurement of this globe around a big star, right? 
That's all it is. He created all of that. How can you be bound by any of that? That's the point that Moses is dwelling on for the children of Israel and for you and I to grasp deeply in such a way that it has a fundamental change in how we interact in life. We forget God's mind. We forget in application that God is not bound by time. He's timeless. And at the same time, we forget our own weakness and temporalness. I don't know if that's a word, but I created it, so it's going to be a word for us this morning, temporalness, short-term time. We forget that. We begin to act like we've got all the time in the world and that we can just, with enough strength and enough power, we can overcome that. And then along comes life and humbles us sometimes. But no matter how many times we're humbled, we keep forgetting we're not as strong and as powerful and we're not as knowledgeable and smart as we think we are. Consider what he says here in Psalms chapter 90, beginning there, or pardon me, Job chapter 38 and verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this darkness counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measures? Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it? I think this has a little bit of God's sarcasm in it. I just, it's dripping heavy with it. If you think about what's happened, Job has spent several chapters defending his innocence to the point where he's demanding an audience with God. And God finally says, okay, you want an audience? I'll give you an audience. Let's talk, Job. You think you've got it all figured out? Do you think you're righteous? you think you understand this life? Well, tell me. Tell me if you have understanding. Come on, boy, answer up. Surely you know. That's what God's saying to Job. You know, we get that same attitude that Job has here when we begin to think that we've got all of life figured out, that we have all of the answers, and that through our strength and through our knowledge, we can just figure out this life. And the truth is we can't. We're not that way. That's why Psalms 90 mentions it, and Peter quotes it in the first book where he talks about how man is as the flesh, or all flesh is as grass, and the flower of man, or the glory of man, as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. That's reality. We're fixing to get to see what it really means for the grass to wither. It's, it's about to be July and August, and unless you want to spend a lot of money watering your lawn, you're about to see the grass wither. It just can't stand the heat, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That happens to grass. And that's the point that God is making, that Moses is making in Psalms 90, that Peter is making. Life's going to keep happening, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It just keeps marching on. We spend a lot of money fighting the mirror. We spend a lot of money fighting the clock. There's some crazy things people are doing today to try to anti-age, but guess what? It, it hasn't stopped them. And no matter how much technology we build, we still don't know what we don't know. Man is very limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our strength and our power and our ability of mind. And that's exactly what God is picturing here in Psalms 90, what Moses is getting across to us, that we forget these things. And it's not through you and I that we're going to get this knowledge to deeply understand God. It's only through God's wisdom. Notice what God tells us about man's wisdom 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? We think we can figure it out. Mankind thinks he can outsmart God. We can, we can figure out a way to get around the rules. We can bend the rules and, and, and eke out a little bit here. And we can just, if we just had the right knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think God is saying anything's wrong with knowledge. But the knowledge of man is foolish in the eyes of God. And when we begin to trust in ourselves and trust in our wisdom and our might and our ability to make it in this life, and, and this is where I believe the, the transition goes from just the idea of making it in this life to having the answers to this life to having the answers for our sin and our problems. How many times do we think if we could just figure out a way to strengthen our willpower that we could overcome sin in our life? If I just had enough gumption, if I just had enough smarts, I could outsmart myself and get this sin out of my life. If I just had enough smarts, if we as a group collectively would just have the right answers, then we could go out and convert this whole world. If, if I could just get you to do a little bit more work, and if I could get you to be a little bit smarter, and if I had a better answer, we could convert the whole world. And we leave out of that plan God that gives the increase. We leave out of that plan of getting sin out of my life that it's God who works in you to will and do. And we begin trusting ourselves and our might and our knowledge. And that's where God says, listen, that's foolishness. The only place you're going to find the answers to this life is when you recognize who I am and you turn completely to me and you quit relying on yourself. Teach us this, Lord. I'm not telling you anything you've not heard. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. I don't think Moses is telling us anything that Israel did not know. But he says, teach us, because we keep forgetting it. We keep not putting it into application. It's God's word that's going to find that. Everything else is vanity. Isn't that what Solomon figured out? In the book of Ecclesiastes, he tried everything. He comes down to the 13th chapter after trying all the answers to this life and he gets down to verse 8 and I love what he says. He says in, in verse 8, the very thing that he began with, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, uselessness of uselessness. That's what that means. Take the most useless thing that you can think of and then break that useless thing down and find the most useless thing of that useless thing and you've got man's efforts in this life apart from God. You've got the purpose of life apart from God. Uselessness of uselessness. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. That doesn't mean life is dull and life is useless. It means life is useless apart from God because he goes on in verse 13 to tell us the other conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. This is it. To keep God's commandments. To fear God. That's all of man. That's what we're for. And when we lose focus on that and begin to put trust in our might and our knowledge and our ability, we need to be taught 
just as Moses cried out, teach us. Because God's knowledge is the knowledge we need. He says in Isaiah 55, beginning there in verse 8, he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. Listen, I don't have the mind of God. You don't have the mind of God. But yet he's blessed us and chosen to reveal some of it to us, hasn't he? Does that, when you stop and think about that for a second, I'm weak and powerless. I'm limited in time. I'm bound by time. I don't have the answers to this life. But God is the creator. He's mighty and he's powerful. And he has all the answers to this life. And he's not bound by time. And this God, this being, has shared with me in this life a part of his mind to understand this life better. It's called his word. Isn't it amazing that we don't spend more time in it? Peter talks about desiring the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Have you lost your desire for that milk? To really know it? Not just to have it memorized so you can quote it. Not just have it so that you can answer all the arguments and objections. Not have it memorized so you live it. But to know it so that it impacts who you are. That's what he's crying for. Remind us, Lord, of your might. Remind us, Lord. Help it to make a difference in my life to know that you are eternal and I am not, that you are mighty and I am weak. Remind me, Lord. Teach me to number my days. I love this phrase. I absolutely love this phrase because it's, it's obviously not to be taken literal. <laughs> and nobody can sit down and go, okay, I have X number of days left. All of us have been to funerals, unfortunately. I'm promising you could go down to a funeral home this morning and you could find somebody that was put in state that they're waiting to bury. If you could talk to the family and go visit with the family and ask if this deceased person had a calendar, you could go look at their calendar. And you know what you wouldn't find on the calendar? I'm going to die on this day right here. They've, it's not normal to do that. I'm not saying people don't do that in a very bad way and commit suicide. I know that happens. That's not my point. But for all of us, we don't really know when we're going to die. And so he says just number our days, and it's not a literal application of I want you to count how many days you have left, but rather he's taking a, a, a figurative statement for you and I to understand that we need to be careful with the days that we have because you really don't know how many you have left. You don't know how many you have left. I was thinking about this as I put the notes together on this lesson. The number of people that I've known in my short 50 years in this earth that passed away at what we would call a relatively young age, from infants to toddlers, children, teenagers, young adults. And you go to those funerals, and what do people say? His life was cut short. She was taken too soon. According to who? Have you ever stopped and asked that question? You see, we think we've got 70 years at least. And anything short of that, we're going, oh, oh, they didn't get the full deal. No. God said at best, 
70 years, and then after that, it's just reasoning strength and sorrow. We're not guaranteed the rest of today. We're not guaranteed a tomorrow. Teach us to number our days, because the truth is we can go at any moment. There's a new commercial, a new ad. I, I play a lot of crosswords on my phones when I'm bored. And that's my little game. I like to do crosswords, and, and I'm cheap, so I buy the ad version. I don't download the one you pay for. I buy the one I have to watch ads for. And there's an ad on there that I've been noticing uh, for, I think it's called COD uh, and some, several different diseases like that that they've grouped together. And they're showing these people that are out doing various events. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of one of the events, they just switch the screen to go, and this event could be cut short because of OCD or not OCD or COD. Sorry, not OCD. Or some other disease. And I think it's a powerful ad. Because the truth is none of us know the moment we're going to die. I've got on the, the PowerPoint, 1 Samuel chapter 20. This is an amazing statement by David. He's being pursued by Saul, and he turns to, to Saul's son, Jonathan, his buddy, Jonathan. And he's going, Jonathan, why is your dad trying to kill me? I don't get it. I'm running everywhere. And Jonathan goes, dude, chill. Chill, he's my dad. He doesn't do anything without telling me first. And David goes, he's not telling you this. And he goes on to say, there's but a step between me and death. You ever stop to think about that? One step between me and death. That's not a lot. That's it. And that's the reality for every one of us. We all partake in activities that are so common to us that I don't think we realize how dangerous they are. Taking a shower. People die every day in that. Going to sleep. Some people don't wake up. Driving in a tin steel automobile at 70 miles an hour with a bunch of other crazy people. Every day people die doing those very activities. And we think it can't happen to us. We live like it's not going to happen to us. We live like we've got all the time in the world, and we forget that we're temporal. We forget that we don't know everything. That's why Moses said, teach us to number our days. Help us to realize how frail it is here, that we're just barely hanging on. And life can go at any minute because the truth is you can't escape death. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, it's appointed our men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You're going to die. I am going to die. That's reality. And there's nothing you can do. Listen, I love that God has blessed us to live in a time where we have such medical resources that we have. My mother recently had a stroke, but because she was in the hospital when it happened, they had the, the medicine there that they could give her that saved her, and she suffers no long-term consequences from it. People have heart attacks. I was reading a story about a fellow that had a heart attack just the other day uh, that they call, used to call the widow maker. Because if you had this heart attack, your wife was now a widow. But this guy survived it, and the number of people surviving a widow maker heart attack is growing year by year. We're advancing in medicine. That's good news. People that have cancer, 
are living longer and they're getting closer to a cure and we're hearing about more people uh, overcoming cancer. That's great news. But you know what? All those people that overcome cancer, that overcome the widow maker, that overcome a stroke, they're still going to die. Every one of us is going to die. And that's the cold reality. There's but a step between me and death, and there's nothing you can do to stop that. And this is the conversation that we don't like to have. We don't like to talk about the reality of our death. We like, listen, there's not anybody here. If I walked around and went to your house this week and sat down with you and went, hey, do you think you're going to die at some point? I don't reckon there's anybody that goes, no, not me. I'm never going to die. I don't think there's a one of us that believe that. We just don't want to talk about it. We just don't want to think about it. But the reality is it's coming, and we can't escape it. Teach us to number our days, to recognize how frail life is that this world isn't all that there is, and we need to stop living like this is the most important thing. In James, the fourth chapter, he talks about these individuals that say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and buy and sell and get gain. And he rebukes them, beginning here in verse 13, he says, come now you say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you're boasting in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He's not saying making plans for the future is evil. I hope all of you realize that, that God expects us to be wise about our life, to make plans for the future, to provide for our family. He's not saying any of that's evil. He's saying when we think we've got it all figured out, and our plans are all about us and our strength and our might. He wants you to know that's evil. Why? Because you're trusting in yourself and you're forgetting that you're frail and weak. That's the point. It's not wrong to have a savings. It's not wrong to prepare for the future that may or may not come for you. That's not his point. It's wrong to prepare for those things when you rely only on yourself. That's why he called it boasting. He said all such boasting is evil. We need a reality to go, listen, my life is just a step away from death. And I need to be reminded of how frail life is. Teach me to number my days because one day is going to be your last day. You're going to wake up one morning. Maybe you're late and you start off having a bad day. Maybe you woke up early for some weird reason and you're having a really good morning. Maybe you have a mixture, just a normal day. Some things good, some things bad. But at some point during that day, you'll have breathed your last. That day's coming for each of us. I don't know when that's going to be. You don't know when that's going to be. But someday you're going to be right and you're going to live your last day on this earth. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, he says, And do this knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. This is a comforting verse, but at the same time it's a, a reality check verse. I've been a Christian now over 20, almost 31 years now. 
32 years. I'd have to sit down and count. 1991, August of 1991 is when I obeyed the gospel. I'm closer to salvation, the reality of my salvation, than the day I obeyed the gospel. And so are you. Why? Because I'm closer to my death today than I was back then. And so are you. One day is going to be our last day, and hopefully your life is right with God. You've surrendered your heart. You've obeyed the gospel. And you've been living in such a way that brings glory and honor to God. You've been faithful to him. One day we're going to have that day. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is the whole point of everything he's talked about in Psalms chapter 90 and the whole point that I want to leave with you this morning. We need a heart of wisdom. You want to live this, way in such, live this life in such a way that brings glory and honor to God? then have a heart of wisdom. What does that mean? It means that I recognize that God is mighty and eternal, that I am weak and temporal, and that I keep forgetting that, and I keep trying to live life on my own terms and need to stop that. And you start living in such a way that declares God is in control. I am not. That God is eternal, and I am dependent upon Him. That I don't live my life like a fool. In Luke, the 12th chapter, we're told about this man who is a farmer and he has a great harvest. Nothing wrong with having a great harvest. Nothing wrong with being successful in your chosen career field and doing really, really well. That's what happened to this guy. That wasn't his problem that God called him a fool. He was very successful, but his success caused him to turn and trust in himself more. He said this after his great crop was brought in. He said, I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night will your soul be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? God didn't say it was wrong for him to have those things, did he? No. It was God, ultimately, God that blessed and allowed his crops to grow in great abundance. It was God that blessed him that way. That wasn't the problem, that he had a great crop. The problem is he looked at those things and said, this is my security. This is my life. This is my strength. And God said, you're being a fool. We need that heart of wisdom that we don't look at the successes and failures or the things, the wisdom, the possessions of this life as our security, as our comfort. You know, if he'd had that great bounty and he'd turned around and used it to bless other people, that'd have been wonderful. But he didn't have to do that. Was it wrong for him to build a big barn and to store this? It wasn't wrong for him to have this. That's what I want you to understand. It wasn't wrong for him to be blessed in such a great way. It was wrong and he was a fool because he began to trust in those things. That's what we need to be reminded of. Teach us to number our days. Why? So that we don't live like this fool. That we don't trust in the things of this life. Instead, that we be wise and we understand how delicate life is. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Or life. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Here's the contrast. Here was this man that lived as a fool, not walking circumspectly, not walking in a way that brings glory and honor to God, but trusting in the things of this life. And he said, you don't be that way. Don't be a fool, but be wise. How? Redeem the time. That word redeem means to buy back, to make the most of. You want to be wise in this life? Make the most of the time that you have. And I'm not just talking about make the most of the time by studying the Bible more, by going to church more. I'm not against those elders. Don't get on to me. I'm not telling them not to do that. Do those things. But make the most of the time that you do have. Those things that you've been putting off in your life that you know you need to get done, that matter. Maybe it's getting serious about battling the sin in your life. Maybe you need to take the time or to redeem the time and have that conversation with that loved one that you've been putting off. Maybe you need to make that time to be wise and to quit telling yourself, I've got tomorrow. I've got another day that I can do this or that. Because you don't know that you have that. Make the most of the time that you have by doing the things that are most important first. And then fill your life with the rest of the, the busyness. But make sure that you do the things that are important. And we stop putting those off. That you live wise and not as a fool. You, at the end of the day, you have two things that are the most important to you. Or should be. Number one, your soul. The Bible tells us the soul is worth more than this whole world. What would a man give in exchange for his soul is a rhetorical question that Jesus asked in the 16th chapter of Matthew. That's it. You have your soul. You have your time. And that's it. At the end of the day, that's all you really own. And then the most important things, and you need to make sure they're being taken care of and used in a right way. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are without, redeeming the time. There's that same idea again. Making the most of the time. Here he ties it in walking in wisdom those outside the body of Christ. But making the most of your time. Putting the important things as a priority. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 5, he says, He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise, man heart, heart, a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judging. Time. You know what you don't have this morning as we get ready to close the lesson? You don't have the time back that I spent standing in front of you preaching this morning. You can't do anything else with that time spent. It's gone. We've got some of our brethren back that just took a vacation. Hope you all had a wonderful vacation. You know what you can't get back? The time you spent on vacation. You can't get back yesterday. You can't get back an hour ago. The time is spent and it's gone. You can't buy some more. You can't make some more. The reality is, is you don't even know how much you have left in the bank. But you're spending it tick by tick on that clock. And one day the clock's going to stop ticking. And you're out of time. And all you'll be left with is your soul standing in front of God. Have you made the most of your time? That's why he says to us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
Listen, this morning, I, I, I didn't want this to be an emotional manipulation lesson. That's not my point. I really hope that you don't feel that way this morning, that we're not trying to, that I'm not trying to manipulate you emotionally and talking about your death and about the last part of your life, wherever that's going to be. That's not my point. I wanted to have a sobering and honest talk about the reality of life. That we're going to pass. And this time goes quickly. Young people, I know you've heard it said from older people all your life, and you're going to keep hearing it until one day you stand up and go, that's what they were talking about. It goes quickly. It goes quickly. Have you made the most of your life, most of your time, addressing those things that are important in life, battling sin, drawing close to God, talking to friends and family about the glory of God? Where have you spent your life? Again, I'm not trying to manipulate you emotionally. But one day you're going to die. And there's going to be a ceremony for you, probably. Maybe even in this building. They'll, they'll move this communion table out of the way. They'll move the mic stand out of the way. Some people in a nice suit, nice dresses will wheel you in in a nice little casket up here. They'll open it up. They'll have pretty flowers all around. You'll lay there in total silence. Somebody will get up and say some nice things about you. They'll talk about how you loved family. They'll talk about how much of a servant you were, how you were a good mother, a good father, a good friend. Some of you will make it easier than others to have this conversation. Then they'll close that lid and they'll go throw you in the ground and kick dirt in your face. It's going to happen. That's not emotion. That's reality. Now, when that's going to happen, I don't know. You could bury me by the end of this week. Could bury you by the end of this week. I gave this lesson several years ago in a congregation on a Sunday morning. That afternoon, a young man lost his life when a shotgun went off. You never know what's going to happen. I'm not trying to manipulate you emotionally. I'm just wanting to be honest with you. You never know what's going to happen. Have you applied your heart to wisdom? Are you battling the sin in your life? Are you acknowledging the sin in your life? Are you striving to know more about who God is? Striving to surrender your heart to Him? Are you really taking advantage of the time to share this news with those that you claim to love? Do you have a heart of wisdom? That's the question for you this morning. One last passage. Better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Have you taken your own morality, mortality to heart this morning? If you don't have that heart of wisdom, if you're struggling with something this morning, if you just want encouragement and prayers, I want to tell you, friend, we serve a living God that's mighty and powerful. We serve a risen Savior who defeated death 
and the grave and sin. And this morning, if you're struggling, if you need encouragement, that Savior stands calling for you to come unto me. We're going to offer this invitation. It's not from me. It's not from this congregation. It's not from our elders. We believe it to be from Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that heart of wisdom this morning and you desire it, if you want encouragement, you want strength, Jesus stands calling. If you'd like to answer that call, we ask you to have a seat on this front row as we stand now to sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.